0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Plains Cree singer-songwriter Buffy St. Marie remains a creative force as she enters her ninth decade. The trailblazing artist is the subject of an American Masters profile now out on PBS. It includes one-on-one interviews with her and her contemporaries, including Joni Mitchell and Robbie Robertson, and other musicians like Jeremy Dutcher who look to her as an inspiration. We'll talk with Buffy St. Marie and have a few surprises. That's coming up after the news.
1: We're saying, keep playing. We're praying. it It ain't
2: money. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A boarding school healing ceremony was held in Anchorage, Alaska this fall. The ceremony took part as people from across the state gathered for the 2022 First Alaskans Institute's Elders and Youth Conference.
3: To call the regalia. Storyteller and and
2: cultural bearer Bob Sam from Sitka opened up the healing event by sharing some history of boarding schools in Southeast Alaska, from the early opening of the Sheldon Jackson School to students who were sent to the Carlisle Indian School in Pennsylvania. Sam says it was devastating for students to be stripped of their languages and cultures. He also shared some stories of boarding school survivors talking about the trauma they endured. Students were often told they were worthless, and many were physically, mentally, and sexually abused.
3: And when they arrived in Carlisle, it had to have been the worst experience
4: of their life.
2: Sam, who works on repatriation efforts, has brought home the remains of many students. He says that work and his overall research of U.S. Indian boarding schools has caused him much trauma. He spent many years in Japan learning about Japanese culture. He then returned home to Alaska, embracing his clinket culture to help him heal from the trauma. Primarily,
3: I return bodies and stuff like that, but I. I began to listen to the survivors and the people who suffered from the trauma of boarding schools and, and from there I developed a ceremony.
2: Sam put on his traditional regalia, which he says is part of the healing process, describing each occasion. piece from his tunic to an orange apron representing every child matters, a robe and a woven headband representing indigenous boarding school students in Canada. Sam then told a story about Raven and the return of traditional knowledge to the people. Sam ended the ceremony by having people form two lines. Boarding school survivors then walked down and were given affirmations, handshakes, and hugs from each person, as Sam sang. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Department of Interior is continuing its investigation into U.S. Indian boarding schools. The agency is traveling across the country gathering testimony. This fall, a stop was made in South Dakota, as Lee Strubinger reports.
5: 78-year-old Rosalie Quickbear attended one of the 31 boarding schools located in South Dakota. The Sachangu Lakota describes being powdered with the pesticide DDT, spending weeks with an untreated broken leg, and getting locked in a dark cement cellar for days. Quickbear describes her experience like this to her grandkids.
1: you see all this horror stuff on TV? Real bad? That's how we grew up. That's why we're like we are.
5: Quickbear says her experience at St. Francis Indian Boarding School still affects her.
1: I thought there was no God. Just torture.
5: Another survivor says every boarding school story is similar. Cheryl Angel also spoke. We were treated inhumanely. It's stories like this the Department of Interior is collecting as part of the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative. The initiative hopes to identify marked and unmarked burial sites from across the boarding school system. Interior Secretary Deb Holland was also in attendance. She says the tour is one step among many.
6: That we will take to strengthen and rebuild the bonds within Native communities that the federal Indian boarding school policies set
2: out to break.
5: I'm Lee Strubinger in Mission, South Dakota.
2: And I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: National Native News is produced by Kawanek Broadcast Corporation
4: with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. You've probably seen those car ads. Low price, low payments. But when you get to the dealer, there could be a catch. If a dealer isn't honest when it comes to its car ads, tell the Federal Trade Commission at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov slash IACB, who support this program.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Buffy St. Marie is the definition of a trailblazer. As a bold songwriter and folk musician on fire in the 1960s and 70s, she told it like it was. She commented on discrimination, violence in war, politics, and Indigenous issues, and her music was even blacklisted for a short time in the U.S. She used the spotlight to share with the world the status of Indigenous communities and dismantle as many Native stereotypes as she could. Buffy is an Academy Award winner, a multi-Juno Award winner, and a dear friend of Big Bird and everyone else on Sesame Street. And she's still sharing her music, art, and wisdom with the world. She's inspired many of today's indigenous musicians. The PBS series, American Masters, now offers a portrait of her genius and her many accomplishments. In this special pre-recorded show, we're talking with Buffy St. Marie about what's new and the latest in her life. And without further ado, please let me honor and welcome our guest today, Buffy St. Marie, Cree songwriter, musician, and activist. She's speaking with us from her home studio in Hawaii. Buffy, welcome back to Native America Calling. It's so great to have you on the show again.
1: Hi, <laughs> so Sean. Hi, everybody. That was very nice words you said. Thanks.
0: <laughs> well, it's a script, you know, I got to can't take the training wheels off quite yet but well buffy it's just that's a, a really beautiful studio you have there and i see you've got some some new children's books on, uh, in the background your guitars all your gear so is that where you uh you work there every day and, and and create and produce still i
1: i work here when i feel like it that's the key to me i do it when it's fun <laughs> i try not to turn it into work <laughs>
0: Well, that's definitely the attitude for sure. Well, Buffy, there's just so much to talk about. This is so cool and exciting. But uh, first up, this this documentary that's come out, uh, it's been produced and it's all about your life and tell us more about it. Oh, well, it was uh,
1: it was directed by Madison Thomas who's half indigenous, half non. And the writer is Andrea Warner. And Andrea Warner is the person who actually, she was the second biographer who went to my manager and and said uh, that she wanted to write the story of my life. (laughs) And I asked my manager, well, who is it who wants to do a biography? He said, Andrea Warner. And I said, just say yes. Because we had done a little interview kind of like what you and I are doing today, Sean, and neither one of us wanted to get off the phone so Andrea is the writer, Madison Thomas is the director, and we had two production companies, White Pine, who are a major Canadian um, film production company, and Eagle Vision, who are an Indigenous group from Manitoba, who've been making great, great movies for quite a while, so I I really lucked out.
0: (laughs) Good people. I, I had a chance to watch it yesterday and, and I learned so much. Oh, I mean, I've, I've always been pretty familiar with your career and, and followed mm-hmm. your, your music, but there were just so many new insights. And well, I think what really struck me more than anything else, Buffy, is, is how long you have been in the industry going back to the early 60s. And, and you've never wavered. You've never changed. And I, I think you know nowadays there's so many people and they talk about decolonization and, and they talk about the importance of, of Native culture and pride. But Buffy, you were singing and and stating that message long before it was cool. I mean, you were really, really such a pioneer and so many years ahead of your time. And, And where did that strength and that courage and that vision, where do you think it comes from?
1: Just being interested, I think. I just really, really wanted to know. Like when I was a little kid, I was told two things. I was told, number one, you can't be a musician because you can't read European notation, which, of course, is the other side of the brain from a naturally gifted musician. And I was shunned and shamed in music classes. They told me I couldn't ever be a musician. And I'd go home and I'd play fake Tchaikovsky. (laughs) And they also told me I couldn't be indigenous because there aren't any more Indians. You know, we have vanished or something. I was raised in Maine and Massachusetts. So uh, I think knowing those two things as a kid, let me know that sometimes the world is wrong or adults are wrong or the authorities are wrong. Or I think I got it quite early in my head that sometimes people aren't always correct. And I became a teacher. I, I went to the University of Massachusetts. I got a degree in Oriental philosophy and religion. I thought I was going to be a philosophy professor. And I also got a teaching degree and I practiced taught grade one. So when I was first starting out, I went into this vacuum of Greenwich Village where, you know, it was like preppy guys singing Michael Row, The Boat Ashore, and Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley, you know, the American songbook folk music, Woody Guthrie songs, Bob Dylan was singing Woody Guthrie songs, you know, and Joan Baez, people like that. But I came with this whole other um, experience and background. And I was singing, now that the Buffalo's gone and Universal Soldier, and Codine um, and songs that were really, uh, didn't come from anywhere except personal experience. And uh, I think that I had the courage to get on a stage as, because I was really a nobody, just because of the content of the songs. And I really felt as though, like something like Now That the Buffalo's Gone, this is in, in New York City. And now that the buffalo's gone, is about the building of Kinzoa Dam, which is in upper New York. State, and I was singing to you know, quite wealthy um, people who you know, thought they were really woke and hip, um, white people uh, mostly, uh, and they had never heard anything. Uh, they had never heard anything about indigenous realities. They were living in the world where Indians don't exist. And when I sang, now that the buffalo's gone. The attitude of audiences was, the little Indian girl must be mistaken. Hmm. She must be mistaken, because there was really no, um, there was no, there was no such thing as indigeneity. They had it had never crossed their screens. Their own professors had never been educated about us. So I came as a teacher, you know, as a first grade teacher. (laughs) Not to scold an audience, but I think it's because I did have that. And then number one, I had a sense of fun and I enjoyed being an entertainer. I didn't want to be a lecturer. Well, I was going to ask you, I
0: mean, how did, you know, here you were, your life seemed to follow this pretty standard trajectory of of going to college and becoming uh a school teacher. And then boom, you just totally just threw the script out, and, and you take off to New York City, early 1960s, pre-Beatnik era. and then, I mean, what was it that made you take that leap of faith and just completely just go a different direction with your life?
1: Well, I loved making music, and there was an opportunity. Uh, in, in the early 60s, you know, just after the Beatniks and long before the Hippies, uh, there was an opportunity for a, co- you know, a young person right out of college to get on a stage and play my songs that I'd been writing all my life. So it's not as though I suddenly changed and turned into an entertainer. No, I just never drank the Kool-Aid that said that you can't do that. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. And I wasn't going for a career. You know, <laughs> I wasn't raised like Paul Simon in a music business family where your uncle owns a music thing and your other uncle is a lawyer. I had never met a lawyer. I was really green. So I really didn't know any better, but. Like, when I was growing up and being told that I couldn't be a musician, couldn't be an Indian, couldn't be this, you know, my mom said, you grow up and you go find out for yourself. And that's kind of what college was about. And when I was maybe sophomore or junior in college, I went to Washington, D.C., and I ran into the National Indian Youth Council. Now, these guys are right up my alley, and they just love me. Uh, It was Mel Tom, Clyde Warrior, Walter Funmaker, Thelma Stiffarm, you know, real (laughs) pioneers. Now, these were young college people like me. They were getting law degrees. Some of them were getting their master's in law. So you put my experience with their experience, and we had some things to talk about. So I had that going into the music business. I wasn't interested in being any of the other girls, singers or boy singers. I mean, I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in being effective. I thought it was so, so exciting to be learning from my peers. By that time, I was traveling to different reservations. When I was first starting to sing, I went to, you know, I got some airplane tickets to go to places like Stockholm and <laughs> Paris. When I was <laughs> done with my concerts, I'd fly up and spend time with Indigenous people in the north, you know, 30 degrees north of the Arctic Circle with Sami people. And in Australia, I'd be with Aboriginal people just because I loved it. And it was so much fun. So it kind of got reflected into my music. And it was a special time when there were coffee houses and that's important because there's no alcohol Uh, and uh, young people could attend. They put an end to that pretty fast. You know, by the end of the 60s, it it was no longer coffee, talk, 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 listen, listen, listen On a little pot. You know, that's the way the early 60s were. By the end, it was alcohol and hard drugs. And um, coffee houses had gotten liquor licenses and the youth movement was effectively shut up. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) For different reasons, but um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it just because I was so curious myself and I love telling other people and I thought if only they knew they'd help. And in some cases they did.
0: Well you know, those early days of because you're talking about Mel Tom and Clyde Warrior National Indian Youth Council. I mean, those were the early <laughs> leaders of, of what became the American Indian movement later and activism. I mean, that was the very beginnings, the, the roots of that. And I mean, did you folks face a, a lot of resistance? Were, were people like, did, did people push back when you, when you went out there publicly and, and shared your messages through your music and, and through the comments that you would make? Was there pushback?
1: It's funny, it almost not even got to the point of being pushed back. It was all done under the table, like um, being blacklisted and, you know, being under FBI surveillance. You know, I always correct people when they say, Buffy, you must hate the U.S. government for having blacklisted your career. The U.S. government doesn't blacklist careers. That would be legal. They would have to get an act of Congress. For the government to do that. No, you have a, a Republican administration, a Democrat administration, they have cronies in the back room making phone calls to the network, to the media. You know, Floyd Westerman and Charlie Hill, they got this too. You know, they, like, we were never encouraged to play in Indian country much. Oh, I was real famous on the East Coast and the West Coast and the rest of the world, but not in the heartland. I wasn't okay. invited to play through, you know, Montana, the Dakotas, you know, Oklahoma, Wyoming. I, I was I wasn't known there. We were kept quiet. Who was it who controlled the university concert series? Who were it that?
0: I'm not sure, but Buffy, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, just stay with us, folks, and we will be right back with Buffy St. Marie. It seems like Black Friday got going weeks ago, but we'll take the traditional start of the holiday shopping season to talk about the vision of some Native retailers, including two hard-charging botanical creators. It's that time of year to highlight small Native business on the next Native America Calling.
4: Did you know more than 51,000 native and indigenous people are living with epilepsy in the United States? Epilepsy is a neurological disorder that causes recurring, sudden, unprovoked surges of abnormal electrical activity in the brain. Call 1-800-332-1000 to get information and resources. Help someone you know by learning seizure first aid at epilepsy.com slash first aid. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show.
0: This is a special pre-recorded episode of Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're talking with the one and only Buffy St. Marie. She's a talented and influential artist. We're not taking live callers, but you're more than welcome to join the conversation online or on Facebook and Instagram. And we've got a caller right now. Radmila Cody, a name many of us are familiar with. She's a Denae singer, songwriter, as well as a model, and raises awareness to fight against domestic abuse and violence. She's a Grammy nominee and multiple Native American Music Awards winner. Radmila, thanks for calling in today.
6: Yate, yate puppy. Oh, my God. This is an honor. Oh. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to just be sharing this this uh, space with you over the phone and uh, <laughs> to hear. Yeah, awesome. It's good to. It's yeah. yeah. I, I, I I'm trying to not get too nervous because the last time I saw you, I was I was feeling the same way. I was like, oh God, Buffy same were we.
0: I felt the same way, Red Radmilla. Radmilla, what does that I mean? What is Buffy's music and her career and just Everything about her mission and just her vision—what does it mean to you?
6: Oh man, it's it—not it, just me, but to to just native country in general. Uh, it's you know, your work has focused so much on issues facing indigenous peoples, and um, you know, the social environmental activism linked to that, and and you've just really been. Uh, indeed a trailblazer for, for many of us who um, you've created and opened those opportunities in that path for. So I, I'm very, very grateful to you for that. I remember that the, the first time I met you, I, it was years back at the um, film festival in the Native the American Indian Film Festival in San Francisco. And you had done a performance and I believe they had given you an award there. But I was just so excited and nervous about meeting you and and, and then I remember saying to you, I'm gonna be just like you, Buffy. <laughs> just like you. And and you, you had a smile on your face and you said, uh, well, good luck, Red Villa. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I remember thinking to myself in that moment, like, well, she's right, right? Like you're right about that because there's you just there's so much that you have done in your career, and um, and there's no I, I can't be like Buffy, I can't be like you, even and even Whitney Houston, because I love and adore Whitney, you know, adore Whitney Houston, and so um, so I think in that moment I remember just feeling. Uh, feeling even more inspired by you because you made me realize in that moment that that I needed to to, to focus on creating a path of my own and and so um, so thank you for that thank you for that moment um, and and I appreciate again everything that you you have done and continue to do for you know Indigenous peoples and just being a good relative you know, on so many levels in that way. And, and for our land, for our non-human relatives, you know, just, you know, for our, our life ways, you know, it's it, it just this it, it goes way back, you know, during an era where um, so much, so much uh, injustice was, was placed, you know, on Black Indigenous people and in Indigenous people. And so there's a photo that I love, I absolutely love, where you're sitting at a piano next to... Um, Ah, what, um, to Ma- Muhammad Ali, and it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite images of you. And, um, and I always wondered what that moment was like for you to, what, what, what conversation took place in that moment? It was Muhammad Ali and I, there were some other, other individuals that were there uh, as well, but um, I always wondered what, 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 what that moment was like for you
1: Pretty wonderful. Muhammad Ali was a friend of mine and very kind to me. He used to come to my shows and sit way in the back and then we'd go for walks. This was in Washington, D.C. We'd go walking around at night after the show. Um, and uh, uh, the, I could say a lot about him. He's wonderful. In that picture also, if I recall, is Dick Gregory. He came to my reserve and he told me in the airplane on the way home, he was crying and he he said that he thought that he had seen inequity. But he had never seen anything like what he saw in Saskatoon, you know. Um, Also in the picture was Richie Havens, David Amram, uh, Stevie Wonder, (laughs) Marlon Brando. Yeah, it's a really nice picture. It's a famous picture. Muhammad Ali and Ken Norton, uh, the picture was taken. um, They had volunteered to do a 14-round exhibition bout in Washington, D.C. for the longest walk. So that's why that picture was taken. Uh, That's what it was around. Um, And Sheldon Wolfchild and his brother, um, Ernie Peters, long walker, uh, and uh, uh, members of the American Indian movement um, set up the longest walk. And that was the culmination. But I loved what you said. Uh, Thank you so much for mentioning that. You thought that I had inspired you to walk your own way. Because I wrote a song. My first album was called It's My Way. And it means it's my path. It's my dream. It's my... my it's what i embrace it's my responsibility that i love you know it's my way a lot of people thought they got it confused with the paul Anka song that frank sinatra sang i'm doing my way (laughs) god damn it my way right so no no it's not like that it's an indigenous approach not my way it's it's my way, (laughs) it's my path. And I'm so glad that you've got it. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Radmilla.
0: Radmilla, thank you for calling in today. Really appreciate uh, your kind words for Buffy. And Buffy, it's interesting because you have the ability to just, and I read an article and they said, you were quoted as saying, I can turn any song into a peace song. I mean, the most hardcore song, doesn't matter what it is. And and like, you even recorded that theme song from the Sopranos, didn't you? And, And turned it into like a whole different theme. I did,
1: yeah. The theme song from the Sopranos, woke up this morning, got yourself a gun, right? That was written by a wonderful group of guys called Alabama Three who are British and there were seven of them. I don't know why they called Alabama Three, but they wrote another song called Power in the Blood. And there have been many songs called Power in the Blood. A lot of them are, are Christian religious songs. But their Power in the Blood was all about um, uh, swords and and, and blood and, and violence. And I just loved the song. So I, I got in touch with them and I said, uh, uh, they were fans of mine. And I was at a concert in London and I had never met them. And they came in. And their lead singer was walking on his knees and making a big deal out of it. So we had a lot of fun. We stayed up all night with them. My all-Indigenous band from Winnipeg was with me at the time. We spent all night at their studio. And I told them I wanted to turn Power in the Blood into a peace song. They just laughed and laughed, but they loved it. I did. I turned it into, instead of saying, um, and when that and when that call it comes, I will... I will be ready for war. That's what Alabama three had said. And I said, and when that call it comes, I will say no, no, no to war. And I, I just kind of rearranged the lyrics a little bit. So yeah, you can do that. You can do that.
0: Buffy. I've also heard you lament the, the fact that we don't have a lot of great peace songs anymore and, and music. And you hear so many criticisms of, of pop music and nowadays that, Oh, it's just so commercialized and there's no message. There's no feeling behind it. And, and what what are your thoughts on contemporary music? And
1: listen to hip hop and rap. I, I mean, you hear a lot of protests going on, and uh, indigenous rap and hip hop as well. So there is it's, it's not it's not as though it's not there. I mean, a lot of people don't know the songs of Phil Oakes, uh, who was a great protest songwriter, or Tom Paxton. And you know, in the '60s, Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Judy Collins, the ones who had real powerful management like Albert Grossman and David Geffen, you know, Tony Mitchell's manager. Everybody heard about what they were doing. But just like indigenous music right now, um, not everything is being heard. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that we're just not hearing yet. I mean, there's an awful lot about indigenous life that most of the world is not hearing about. We were talking a little bit earlier about the uh, National Indian Youth Council, and in, in the '60s, when I was riding around in a car with Clyde Warrior and Mel Tom Guys, I mean, you'd look out the window in Ponca City, Af- Ponca City, Oklahoma, and you'd see, you know, house for rent, no Indians. You'd see, um, um, you know help wanted. Indians need not apply. It was like a joke. We went to uh, a truck stop, uh, you know, where they serve lunch and stuff. They gave us picnic wear, you know, plastic spoons and forks. Everybody else had real stuff. So that kind of racism, you know, you don't live in Ponca City, Oklahoma. I mean, if you're a New York City person, you probably don't know about it. So I guess what I'm saying is that in the indigenous world, there's an awful lot going on that, uh, that is really, really good, or sometimes really, really bad, that the rest of the world, including us on in other locations, are not hearing about. But, you know, with Native America calling and ICT, and, you know, it, times are different now. And it's good. It's good. We're more in touch now. It's easier to be in touch and to share our information. But that's all I was doing. See, I was lucky enough to have airplane tickets, Eventually, have a little bit of fame to have a concert stage to be on television where you can actually debate a congressman and tell him <laughs> words that I can't say. <laughs> um, um, things are much better now, but I I had I had um, a platform earlier than most people, so I was able to what they taught me. And what I was able to glean from them and then represent, re-represent to a public that they couldn't reach, that's what I was trying to do. Because we'd go to uh, AIM rallies or something else. We were trying to spotlight an issue that um, wasn't being heard. And, you know, so often you can't get any space in in the public forum unless you're angry and have a gun. But there were so many people working... In communities to make things better, and 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 still are. You know, we we always have to remember that Indian country is not what we're seeing in the global headlines.
0: All right. all right, Buffy. We've got another caller, Jeremy Dutcher. He is a First Nations composer, musicologist, performer, and activist. Jeremy, thank you for calling in. Hi, hi. Tanse, Buffy.
1: Hey, how's <laughs> it?
0: nice
3: to hear your voice my friend and it's always an education when uh, when i get to 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 hear your words and and to to know your story a little better um thank you for sharing it today
1: Thanks for calling in, Jeremy and I and a whole lot of other indigenous artists just participated in something in Ottawa called the Starwalker concert. And there's a there's a geo block on it. So Americans can't find it at the moment. I hope it's going to become public because, Jeremy, you just were so wonderful. Oh, gosh, the way you did my songs, just beautiful. Thank you.
3: Share that with the world, that one, because that was such a special gathering of all these different artists that came together to, to honor you and your songs, and it was such a such a treat to be part of, uh, of that gathering. Um, I, I really just want to... I don't want to take too much time. I just want to bring gratitude um, for you as, as, a, as an Artistic North Star, uh, for us all, uh, but for me personally, and um, um, I guess... You know what? what I, I I take so much from you um, and your philosophies, um, both politically. You know your activism, how you um, uh, musically, the way you write songs. Um, but but one thing I always really reflect on that I've heard you speak about is is that music needs to be play. It needs to be about play. And I think that's something I always try to insert into any musical context I enter is that we're here to have a nice time and explore and and, and communicate with each other. And, and, and I feel, especially coming from the world of classical music, like a lot of musicians have lost that. And so I, I just want to bring gratitude for, for that particular philosophy that, that you've allowed to illuminated my life and and i try to bring it everywhere i go is that we're here to play like let's have fun uh let's have a good time because music is 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 so beautiful uh if i had a question i might just want to ask you i've also heard you talk about every 30 years um in this kind of cycle that war racket that we're kind of stuck in right now um I I, I I wonder where we are right now in that and, and how we're gonna get out and, 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 and how we can foster those good relations, because we're in a really critical moment, it feels like. I just want to hear you talk more. So thank you so much. I just love you. Take good care.: <laughs> Okay,
1: Jeremy. He's a wonderful He's artist.
0: <laughs> What's your thought on that? He mentions every 30 years and just the current wow. state of chaos.
1: It's true. It's it's true of indigenous things too. Like I feel as though right now we're kind of having a moment. You know, there are a lot of indigenous actors and actresses and directors and all who are having a moment on uh, television and documentaries, you know, red talks, and <laughs> oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, and I don't get too excited about it because I've seen it before. I mean, it's like every now and then somebody comes out with a big Indian movie, and the and the fashion magazines all start sticking feathers in blonde pigtails, and you know. I, silliness, but um, then it goes away. Um, you know, there was um, Cheyenne Autumn, and, and then there was a, a, a little big man and dances with wolves, and you know, there's a whole lot of them, and, but then it goes away. Uh, so uh, I hope that uh, everybody's paying attention and is going to try to maintain and not let uh, slip back into a lack of consciousness. The points that many, many people are making now about missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, about residential schools, about um, uh, applauding our heroes. I mean, there's so much um, that um, that's going on right now, but it can sink back into um, obscurity. The same thing. And what Jeremy was really referring to, I think, was my comment that uh, like I wrote a song called The War Racket. It says, you know, That's how it's done about every 30 years. The rich fill their bank accounts. The poor fill with tears. The young fill the coffins. The old hang a wreath. The politicians get photographed with their names underneath. It's like every now and then we have a big big war. Money changes hand. It's a big money laundering thing. Everybody gets into it, right? A whole lot of poor people and unlucky people and unfortunate people and civilian people and guys who enlisted and maybe shouldn't have people, they get dead, you know? But a whole lot of people get rich. And then, oh, this is the war that will put an end to all wars. They said that about World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. There's not going to be another war. Well, war makes a whole lot of money for a whole lot of people. And so we seem to go, Jeremy was saying, you know, he was reflecting. We seem to go um, forward and then they pretend that it's over. And then after a while, here it comes again, the same old thing and um all i know about i mean i have no great wisdom of how to make it stop um you know people will sometimes say something that i object to they say oh Buffy, you are such a warrior for peace and i'm not i know what a warrior is you know i have respect for our veterans and our real soldiers but i am not a warrior excuse me i'm a girl with a guitar right i'm a writer (laughs) i'm an artist i'm not a warrior
0: (laughs) we've got to take a a a short break there's a difference Yeah, but appreciate everything you say, all your words of wisdom. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to ask you about my favorite one of your songs ever.
4: This Native American Heritage Month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash control. This support provided in partnership with HHS OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228.
0: This is a special pre-recorded episode of Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Buffy St. Marie today. She's a Cree singer, songwriter, activist, and artist. She's joining us from her home in Hawaii. We're not taking callers this hour, but you can still join our online discussion. How has Buffy's music influenced you? What's your favorite Buffy St. Marie song? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Native America Calling. We're also on Twitter at one eight zero zero nine nine native and we've got a caller right now, Jir. Uh he is a singer from Cochine Pueblo, lead singer for the Jir Project Band and founder of the Native Guitars Tour. Hello, Jir. Thanks you for joining us.
7: Let's see, Hopa. Uh, hi. How's how you doing? How's everybody doing out there?
0: We're doing great, Jir. We're doing great. Uh isn't it great to have Buffy on the show today?
7: Yes, yes. And and it's such an honor to be, you know. Um, on the airwaves and the same vibrations as Buffy. She's been such a inspiration, mentor, teacher, you know, matriarch. It just, uh, it's, it's a great
0: moment right now for me. Thank you. Jer, sure, how does uh, how has Buffy's music inspired your career?
7: Wow. You know, I, I think it's kind of ironic. i I'm, I'm, I'm in the studio right now recording some new songs and, the tracks I'm working on it was uh, Busty St. Marie on, on TV, you know, and just that voice and always correcting the narrative of what was happening, you know, always educating not just, you know, our, our inner uh, nations, but, you know, the world on, on the correct narrative of who we are as native people so you know as i as i put music together you know it inspires me into giving me that open that door for me to you know just explore that with pride and um you know continue that to educate you know people of what the correct narrative is so yeah just there's so many so many ways that you know buffy has inspired you know, our people and and just the world, you know, with with her messages and with her songs and um, you know, just that voice, you know, there's that vibrato in her voice, that strength that, you know, our matriarchs have. So that's 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 a short little um a bit of inspiration that (laughs) continuing on to I'm writing.
0: Jerry, thanks for joining us today, calling in with those warm words for Buffy. And, and, and Buffy, before break, I said I want to talk about my favorite one of your songs ever, Darling Don't Cry. Hands hey. down, my favorite Buffy St. Marie song. Tell me the story behind it.
1: Oh, well, I must, I must begin by saying that song really started with Edmund Bull and his mother. That was their song. Uh, they're from Little Pine in Saskatchewan. And uh, Edmund Bull is the lead singer for the world champion round dance group, Red Bull. And uh, they are very, very much loved (laughs) uh, drum group. And uh, so I loved their song, Darling, Don't Cry When I Leave the USA, if you like I'll take you home. When I go back to Canada, here I go. Yeah, it was so nice, and so I had, uh, I just had this song of my own going through my head and it just kind of worked together, so I got in touch with Edmund, who I already knew, uh, and I said, yeah, can we turn this into a song? And uh, I explained a little bit about publishing to him, you know, um, (laughs) because it's always bothered me that, you know, after we started the Music of Aboriginal Canada category, for the Junos, which is like the Grammys in Canada. You know, all these all these guys from Toronto show up with their recording equipment along some power groups and, you know, how would you like to make a cassette or a little bit later, a CD? Oh my God, we're <laughs> going to be stars, right? And then these businessmen just take the publishing and you never hear from them again. So um, uh, Darling, Don't Cry uh, is a co-write between me and Edmund Boer. Um, And it's just about... Uh, you know, I travel a lot and I go to European countries, you know, I had an all Aboriginal band for a while and we'd go someplace like in Europe or Australia somewhere where they had never been to a powwow (laughs) and (laughs) darling, don't cry. It's just so it's the real deal, you know, and um, people all over the world, they get this um, phoning combination of stuff that they associate with Indians. And, you know, it's all, it's not even true and it's shallow and it's not really real or about anybody. It's just kind of a Hollywood package, but darling, don't cry. And I really wanted to give at least my listeners the opportunity to hear the real deal. So Red Bull, sing on the, um, sing on it with me. And, oh, and there's a video. You can find the video at my website and uh, uh, you can see Red Bull. They're singing in the video, in, in parts of the video.
0: Okay, so, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, that, people
1: like it. I like it, too. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it is. It is just an all time classic. And Buffy, I mean, one thing we can't not uh, forget to talk about today is you're in addition to being this songwriter and singer and activist, you're also a writer. And you've got a couple of books uh, behind you right now a children's book and some other books. So tell us more. Oh,
1: well, um, my first kid's book, I based on a song that I used to sing to my pets when I'd bring them back from the shelter. It's called Hey, Hey, Little Rockabye, and it's about pet adoption. And then this one is a full-length chapter book for kids, and it's called Topway and the Magic Hat. And it's about a little kid who goes to spend uh, the summer uh, with relatives on uh, a, a reserve across the valley, and you know, of course, he gets to sleep in a teepee and go to a powwow. But basically, what he gets, he gets into trouble with, you know, kind of uh, bad, bad company and bad heroes. So it's about being betrayed and self betrayal and how you come back from that. So it's about peer pressure and bullying and things like that. But it's all wrapped into a little story. And then this one just made the New York Times. Top 10 list for children's books, <laughs> and it's called Still This Low Goes On, and it, my words, and Julie Flett, who's um, half indigenous, she did the illustrations for this, so it, it's really beautiful, it's a wonderful book, and um, You know, I don't have time to show you the whole thing, but it it really captures the isolation, but also the majesty of life on a remote reserve, you know, missing your relatives and coming home. So that one's called Still This Love Goes On. So I got three kids books out right now.
0: Now, Buffy, the the pet adoption, that's an issue that's very close to your heart. And I I think we might have even played, uh, you have a song that's related to that. I think we played it during the break. Tell us more.
1: Well, that's the, that's what this little book is based on. And in the back of the book, if you can read music, which I cannot, <laughs> but music <laughs> teachers will be able to read it. So um, this Hey Little Rockabye is based on this song that I used to sing my pets when I when I would bring them home and we also turned it into a book. It, and it almost feels like me you know as an adopted person yeah i'm adopted so i kind of i kind of relate to my pets when i take when i bring them into my life and at one point this song says were you let's see um uh you didn't get no choice and you didn't get no vote when they dropped you off at the shelter all you had was your little fur coat and now you get somebody loves you hey hey little rockabye hey hey little darling <laughs> I guess we all feel like, that, you know, all we have is our, all we have is the skin
0: Jeez. we're in sometimes. Yeah, I can relate to that. Me and my daughter, we just uh, became foster parents for a cat at our local humane society. So we're taking care of a care. We're helping it. It has an upper respiratory tract infection. So we've got it for two weeks to get it back to order. So can really appreciate all your passion for, for animals and, and pets and everything. So Buffy, I mean, you just never stop. Are, do you still tour frequently? I'm trying
1: not to because I got stuck in that awful mess. I was stuck for, I was abandoned by two airlines and dumped in Denver Airport. I mean, it was a nightmare <laughs> for three days. It was crazy. Yeah, no, the airlines have uh, broken right now, so I'm trying not to travel. They're trying to get me to go in November, December to this big thing happening in Canada, and I might go or I might not, but I'm trying not to fly right now. There's just mm. too much that can go wrong. I'm and they're at home, which I love.
0: <laughs> in Hawaii, do you have a lot of friends there in Hawaii that you hang out with, and and just tell me a little bit about just your daily life there, living on the islands.
1: No, I don't have a lot of friends. I only have a few friends. You know, being being an entertainer on the road, you know, I'm just I'm, sometimes I just not I'm not here all the time. You know, I can't, you know, go over to the house on Thursday nights. And then you come over our house on Thursday nights. It's not my kind of life, you know. I, mm-hmm. And I've never been, I've never worked in an office. So I don't have that kind of weekday. Then there's the weekends. You know, I'm always gone. So, no, I don't have a lot of friends here. <laughs> I've had up to 33 goats and a horse at the same time. <laughs> and two dogs and two cats. And right now I have two kitties, one goat and my sweetheart. And a whole lot of wild pigs and chickens and parrots and 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 songbirds everywhere. So yeah, I get a lot of animals. And I think it's partly what keeps me healthy Uh and wanting to live another day. I really love living and I'm very curious about life. And I really think that the time that you sit your butt down on the actual ground, that you interact in the forest among green things, you know, and that you actually interact with other species from yourself, I just think it is so enriching. It just keeps me alive. I also work out and eat real
0: good. Okay. <laughs> and your son Cody, he's your neighbor, is that right?
1: Yep. He lives in my back 40 in his own house. And he's online a lot. Yeah, he makes his own music and um but we don't we don't play together. <laughs> we play separately.
0: Uh-huh. Well, speaking of your music, I mean, your career, it spanned uh, decades. And, and how do you think you've evolved a, a, as a singer and as a songwriter over the years? What's different about the music that Buffy St. Marie records and performs today as opposed to, you know, in the 70s or even the 60s?
1: Uh, well, mostly, well, now I'm in charge. I mean, in the 60s, you walked in and, you know, you were singing in a big room with a bunch of strange men. That you never saw before, that you'll never see again, and they're totally in charge of the way the record comes out. So it's apt to be anything. And I was—I really thought my albums could have been a lot better, uh, and could have been more effective. Uh, so over the years, uh, you know, I got into electronic music and computers real early. So and I started recording us uh, uh, um, soundtracks for movies using computers and. Uh, you know, Fairlight, Sinclair and eventually Macintoshes so really what it does, it gives you the control of making things come out the way that you intend and you you can work on them forever, there's not you know, a clock and a bank involved (laughs) and mostly you get to call the shots and that's why Power in the Blood is so good, you know Power in the Blood is a good album and you know um, when you're in control of yourself it comes out the way that you want it it might not sell a gazillion but it's the way you wanted it and it's sure worth doing as an artist
0: we hear so much about musical styles and, and I, I you know it's like reviewers and and experts always trying to kind of pigeonhole artists into these categories and if if you were to describe your style is, is it as simple as saying it's folk or it's indigenous how, how would you describe your own music buffy
1: no, I'm a songwriter, and it's really diverse. Um, when I, you know, when you go to sleep at night, you don't know if you're going to dream, let alone what you're going to dream about. <laughs> it could be anything. You could be dreaming about Venus and Mars, or or China and Tibet, or you know, you can be dreaming about anything. And I, that's the way songs are for me. So I, I've had hits as country songs. Um, uh, you know, Kanye West and Young Thugs have recorded my songs. Um, I have. uh, Until It's Time for You to Go has been recorded 157 times by just about any artist you can think about. Uh, (laughs) And I write a lot of songs that are purely Indigenous and some that are really strong, very well thought out about about the entire world, like Universal Soldier, you know, where it's really made to make make sense, common sense. So I haven't really changed much, uh, except that I have my own studio for quite a long time. So that's why my later records are... A little bit better than the earlier ones that did get a lot of attention but I always thought could have been better
0: well you had this vision uh, from a from a young age and you carried it through you went all the way as far as you can go and I think that we have so many young indigenous people that are listening on air now or they hear your songs or they watch you on movies and documentaries and television and how do you instill that how do we how do we transfer that energy and that passion that you have to our younger our younger native people today.
1: Oh, I think we're doing it. I think I've been doing it all along in my life from either songwriting or Sesame Street or activism or something. But there are people in every community who are doing You know their own thing in their own way and that's what I do I just do my own thing in my own way um and I didn't drink the kool-aid that um the the colonials were trying to uh, bathe us in you know Uh, I just never drank that I just never believed um I mean, my mom, when I was a kid, she told me not to believe in like the Indian movies that we were seeing. She made me aware that there's a a whole crock out there that is just kind of in one ear and out the other. And then there's the reality that you can find out about. Like, I don't think a lot of, I would love to talk to young people about how it was. You know, we mentioned the National Indian Youth Council. And when I would ride around with them, all of those signs that we were, were, you know, all those racist things that we have to appreciate the fact that our people, have already done a whole lot to make things better. And it wasn't just celebrities like me that you see on Sesame Street. It was everybody else, you know, who were informing me and I was informing them. And, you know, we, were, it's, we're all, we, we all do our part. But for me, it's always based in the fact that I just plain want to. If you don't want to, don't worry about it. Do something else. But if you do want to, there's a lot. There's a lot of Indigenous people who came before us You know, this is not new. We've been, this resistance has been very, very necessary and carried on for 500 years. If we had a very long time to talk, you know, I'd fill you in on some real hair raising things that uh, are still going on and that go way, way back. But, um, you know, there's only so much column space, there's only so much time, but there's a lot of information out there. And if you love to learn, then go get it. And turn it into whatever it is that will address the issue for the people that you are reaching. And they're all different.
0: That is so true, there's only so much time and unfortunately our time with Buffy St. Marie is winding down and Buffy I'm glad you mentioned Sesame Street because that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about but unfortunately we just don't have enough time to talk about so many things that you have going on, so much in your career and I feel like you're just getting started in so many ways with just so many new projects and just so much innovation and I just, again, it's just been such a pleasure to have you on the show today, thank you so much. Uh, Buffy St. Marie, the legend, the icon here on Native America Calling. She's joined us today uh, from Hawaii. Just a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, Folks, I want to wish you all well, and I hope you enjoyed this show. We do have to sign off now. This is Sean Spruce with Native America Calling, and again, big thanks to Buffy St. Marie.
6: pkni inchin kunzooch shooten in crispier tin sheet tin cms yetwa uaxol eastam ch'ski quantum luwan in crispier tin timoco bandage khol naxs me ch'kukul taws isch skali usukh mariam ya ch'saxam ch'hoyim healthcare.gov uaxch kukul taws one 800-318-2596 yes mam centers for medicare u medicaid services
4: Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash tribalmuseumsday. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program.